the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God desires us to speak truth to one another because when one member of the human race suffers, we all suffer. Thank God we're not justified by keeping the law, amen? But here's the, the part that we don't want to forget. These are still part of God's heart, though. God's moral law doesn't change. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, Lord, I don't want to do the things that you say not to do, and I want to really get to the heart of those commands. I want you to be number one in my life. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. The God of the universe had been working with a specific people group, the Israelites, fulfilling a promise he had made to their great patriarch, Abraham. God had set free the Israelites from their captivity in Egypt, and was now in the process of revealing his own nature to them on Mount Sinai. God is a holy God, and desires a holy people. He has been giving the Ten Commandments. We join Pastor Will as we go over the Seventh Commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. So verse 14, back in Exodus 20, he says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. The word adultery here just means to have sexual intercourse with someone who is not your spouse, and that should be self-explanatory. Just as the previous commandment is about the preservation of life, thou shalt not kill, this one is about the preservation of marriage. Man, that is an important topic in today's culture. God's intent from the beginning is one man and one woman for life, period, period. Now, do we fall short of that? Yes, we do fall short of that. Just like we, we don't always love like we ought love. But it's never right or okay. And like the previous command, Jesus had something more to say. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Now, the Pharisees, they had had kind of the equivalent of our modern day, you can look as long as you don't touch. And so their thought was, well, as long as you don't physically commit adultery, you can lust after women all you want. You know, you can look at them in a desirable way, even when they're not your spouse. That's okay. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus references that. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. The idea here is that anything from outside the marriage that spills into the marriage, or vice versa, anything that's within the marriage that now goes outside the marriage is off limits. The idea is that marriage is supposed to be holy. It's supposed to be sanctified. In fact, this command isn't so much about not crossing a boundary as about keeping yourself exclusive with your spouse, of being dedicated to them both before and during marriage. And thus, premarital sex is a no-no. I hear people say all the time, the Bible never says anything that's wrong about premarital sex. And I'm like, you're not reading the same book I'm reading. The idea that God is saying here, he doesn't give letters of laws. He talks about principles. And the principle that's being communicated here is exclusivity. Because here's the reality. Until you say, I do, 
There's no guarantee they'll be your spouse. And I've seen that happen a few times. There's no guarantee. And it's wrong to take something from a person that belongs exclusively to their spouse. You say, but Will, it's okay to look right. Listen, sexual intimacy in a marriage is more than just a physical experience. God intended it also to be emotional and spiritual. Now, when you begin viewing men or women as objects of desire in your mind, you warp sexual intimacy by turning it into a solely physical act. When we allow lustful desires to grow in our minds, we warp our own emotional understanding of sex and we end up dulling the spiritual aspect of sex. Now, why is that important? Listen, what if every human being treated every other human being with dignity and respect rather than as objects of desire to be selfishly exploited? We'd have very few movies, first off. You know, and, and the crazy thing is they've got us hook, line, and sinker. They do. They do. We think that's how it's supposed to be. Like, like we think that, you know, I mean, I say we, but I'm just saying human, humanity. That's what we think love really is about. Let me rephrase that. That's what we think sex is about. We think sex is about two particles that just can't stay apart and they collide, you know? Like it's that easy. God designed it to be so much greater than all of that. Not some mad, passionate dash to the finish line, but the idea of something deeper where two people share something exclusively with one another that they don't share with anyone else. And when you do that the right way, there's a spiritual aspect of it that is highly fulfilling in a way that just the physical act by itself could never, ever, ever fulfill. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine a world without divorce? How many of us have been touched by that? The pain that that causes. What about adultery? Can you imagine a world without adultery? What about a world without rape or abuse where moms and dads were fully committed to each other in an exclusive manner? What about a world that looked like that? Sounds to me what all the good love songs dream about, you know? I had one thing right when I was a, a, you know, a teenager. You know, I, first, I got saved. I, just, I wanted to find somebody to spend the rest of my life with. I didn't want to be alone. I, uh, I had friends, but I'm not very good at like small talk. I, I want meaningful relationships. And so, you know, just hanging out or whatever was not something of, of value to me. And, and guys have a tendency to not go very deep to begin with. That's our struggle. And so, you know, I, I did feel very lonely and I, I just wanted to find somebody to spend the rest of my life with. And I looked in all the wrong places and thankfully none of the girls were biting. So Beverly was my first ever girlfriend. And by that time I had grown up a little bit and, you know, it was a much better view in our relationship. And, uh, you know, and we've, we've spent 20, will be 20 years in July, 20 amazing years. What, imagine a world where that was everybody's story. Not that we're perfect. We've, we've got areas where I wish we didn't have in our history. But if we had a world like that, thou shalt not commit adultery sounds pretty good to me. Back in Exodus 20, the eighth commandment says, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Well, to steal means to take items without permission from the owner. My kids are master thieves <laughs> by that definition. You know, to take items without permission from the owner. This refers to the preservation of property. Satan, interestingly enough, has no regard for life or property. He takes what doesn't belong to him and he acts as he pleases. Case in point, we are God's creation. And look at what he did to Adam and Eve. He ripped them off for his own demented pleasure. He took that which was beautiful, that which God created, and he sold them a lie. He stole and took something from them just for his own demented pleasure. Listen, if we all respected one another's property, the world would be a much better place. And yet, again, it goes deeper. So why don't we look forward to, not Matthew, but let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're actually going to stay here for the next 
commandment as well. Or we'll come back here. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Here we see the heart of God goes deeper. Not just thou shalt not take something that doesn't belong to you. But looky here. Verse 28 of Ephesians 4, he says, let him that stole steal no more. But rather, so this is what the heart of God is, rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needs. See, the heart of God's command goes deeper than just respecting people's property. It goes to our own personal work ethic and generosity. See, instead of looking to take from others, we should be looking to give to others, working hard not just to pay our bills, but to be a blessing to others. You know, the first time we were able to help somebody out with something, do you know what a joy that was? Me and Beverly, we were, we were young, we got married, and uh, we had made a choice that once she got pregnant, that she would stay home. And that was our choice. I'm not telling you, you have to do that, but that was our choice. That's the dream we wanted. That was what we felt God wanted for us. So we were going to live on one income. I was a GM at Chick-fil-A and a pastor. Neither are high-paying jobs, at least in a small church environment like that. But my point is that we definitely struggled a bit financially. The Lord met all of our needs, but we didn't have a lot of extra running around, and we certainly didn't have a whole lot of extra to help other people out. When I worked, I, was, I would get so bitter and frustrated. I'm like, Lord, why can't I be full-time why, you know, as a pastor? Why can't the church fully support me or this? And this is early on. You know? and, and the Lord's like, you have a ministry right here in front of you, Will, all the people you work with. Why do you not view that as your ministry? And you know, it took about three or four years for it to sink in. So finally, I started on the drive to work. I'd pray for all my coworkers. I would pray for the various things going on in their life. Then I'd get there and I'd ask them and I started treating them different. And they started responding to me different. And I started having influence in their lives. And I was like, oh, wow, there's a ministry right here. My point is, is that we can look at our job, we can look at our paycheck as just a, a thing to do instead of doing work for God. And also instead of looking at how we can help someone else. Why is this commandment important? Listen, what would our world look, be like if everyone went to work with the intention of using those wages to bless someone else who had a need? You know, what if the next time overtime came up and someone said, I'll take it. You know, I know there's a family at church that has a need and I'd love to help them out. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? You know, when, when we sit around and we talk to the kids, we've mentioned this before with our kids. You know, we said, hey guys, we're going to do this. And because of that, we need to not, you know, get snacks or something like that anymore. We've not been very good at doing that for long periods of time, but we've, we've tried to explain to them that sometimes if we're going to sacrifice an it's because we want to bless somebody else. You know, what if every human being were other-centered in our work approach rather than self-centered? It'd be a pretty amazing world, wouldn't it? It's a great way to live. Well, the next commandment, the ninth commandment is, thou shalt not bear false witness, I believe is what it says. Verse 16, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. So the idea here is false witness means to answer with a deceptive testimony. So you shall not answer with a deceptive testimony uh, against, could be translated to. So you shall not be answer with a deceptive testimony to your neighbor. And I say that because sometimes people think, well, this is just limited to like a legal hearing where you testify and you can't testify against your neighbor falsely. It means to give, purposely give, incorrect or incomplete information to or about another person in any setting. Now, this commandment, therefore, could be violated by lying, by slander, tailbearing, creating false impressions. It can be uh, violated by silence or by questioning a person's motives. It can even be violated by flattery. 
Alan Redpath said this. He said, How very strange that we have ever come to think that Christian maturity is shown by the ability to speak our minds, whereas it is really expressed in controlling our tongues. I read that, and I just had to let that just sit for a while. You know, and we value that in our culture, don't we? We, we, have, <laughs> we have a candidate right now, God bless him, who loves to speak his mind. And uh, that is not a Christian ideal. We are not to speak our minds. In fact, the Bible says the fool speaks what's in his mind, but a wise man keeps it to himself. The Bible says even a fool will be thought wise if he keeps his peace, right? So you don't know how dumb you are. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah. hey, that guy's wise. You know, all I did was listen, you know? <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts about being a pastor. People will come in and see me and they'll begin to talk. And then as they begin to talk to me about their problem, they begin to solve their problem. And I know the Bible says this, and I know that you know, I'm supposed to do this, and really what I think I need to do is I just need to surrender this area of my life to the Lord. I say, you know, I think that's a great idea. Thank you so much, Pastor Will. <laughs> Anytime. We do that to each other, me and Beverly, all the time. We just listen to each other, you know. And sometimes the wisest thing you can do is just to listen, you know. The Bible says, what is it, like a, a fitly spoken word? It's like an apple in silver settings. I think that is something like that. You know, some fruit in a silver setting. But the idea is it's, it's a precious thing. It's like, you know, taking something simple, but putting it in a place of high value, of high beauty and, and, and prestige. You know, a fitly spoken word is, is right. Now, that brings us again to the heart of the command. So turn over to Ephesians 4. And let's look at verse 29, because here's what God is really saying when he says, don't lie, you know, don't have any type of communication that's wrong. He says, and it's repeated here, verse 29 of Ephesians 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. God desires us to speak truth to one another, because when one member of the human race suffers, we all suffer. Do you realize that? In our culture right now, we find that it's, it's admirable to upset and anger other people. I'll see on my Facebook feed coming down, this will really make liberals upset. <laughs> like that's a, like a godly value. That's, that's an attribute we should desire. Listen, I don't agree with the other side of the agenda as much as you do or as much as those people. Like if I were to sit down with those people who say those things, we'd probably agree on a lot of stuff. But I don't agree with the character because I don't see that as scriptural conduct. The Bible says that you should, as, as, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. The Bible says we're to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. You say, well, they're troublemakers. Okay, so now we're going back to what we started the sermon with tonight, which is love your enemies. Don't just do good to those who do good to you. Don't render evil for evil. God desires to speak truth to one another because when one member suffers, we all suffer. Lying is a transaction that is intended to leave me in a better position than the one I've lied to or the one I've lied about. That's what lying is intended to do, to leave me in a better position than the one I've lied to or the one I've lied about. But here's the reality. That's an impossibility, even though it appears to be true, because something is always lost in the process of a lie. Listen, when you see Adam and Eve in the garden, what does it mention about them at the very end? It says, and the two were what? Naked and unashamed. And we kind of giggle when we read that and stuff because we think, you know, it talks about oh, marriage, you know, that, that part of marriage and stuff. But think about it for another moment. Is that something we do as people? No, man, we cover up. We cover up as much as possible because we don't want to be exposed like that. I don't want to be out there so people could know me in that type of a complete way. 
On the other hand, marriage is the one place where we should feel safe to be ourselves completely. We should feel safe to unveil and reveal ourselves fully without holding anything back. But in any relationship, that relationship only goes as deep as you unveil yourself to that person. If you are holding a lot back, the relationship can only go so far. And any time you lie, some part of that intimacy in a friendship is lost. Whatever you've appeared to gain is offset because you've created a barrier between you and your fellow man that can't be removed unless you come clean. It can't be. And coming clean can be extremely painful for everyone involved and could leave you lesser as a result. So nothing is truly gained because it's always a net loss in the end. That's the lie of a lie. Now, why is that important? Well, Satan's lie is what landed mankind in this mess, and we've been falling for it ever since. You know, God doesn't really have your best interest in mind. And the world, that's what we think, you know. How many times do we hear people say, you're God? I could never follow your God. God. If God was a God of love, he wouldn't be like this. I don't want to follow your God. He's been lying since day one that God isn't good, that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't have your best in, in mind. And the humanity buys it hook, line, and sinker. Listen, what if every human being spoke the truth at all times because they wanted the best for their fellow man? You know, what if we could always trust one another whenever we spoke, whenever we made a transaction, or whenever we handled conflict? Wouldn't the world be a different place? Well, the 10th commandment says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his PlayStation 4, nor his Mustang, nor his jet, nor his job nor anything that is your neighbor's. The word there, covet, means to strongly desire another's possessions. And covet just speaks of a dissatisfaction with what we do have. And it, it elevates possessions to a place of worship. You know, in Ephesians 5, just past the passage we've been looking at, Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 5, 5, the Lord actually calls covetousness exactly that. He says, he says, for this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, which is an idolater, has any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. He equates covetousness with idolatry. And you know what's interesting that he closes with this as the 10th commandment. It really brings everything full circle because we started with idolatry, right? And now we end with idolatry. The first commandment was to not have other gods, but coveting leads to that. It leads to putting something in the place that God should be in my life. In Hebrews 13.5, you don't need to turn there. I just want to read it real quickly because it's so good. It says, Let your, live your life without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Why? For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, Jesus is enough for you. Right where you're at, wherever your socioeconomic status is, Jesus is enough for you. You know, in our world right now, we, we, we decry you know, inequality. We want everybody to be the same. But I guarantee you that will not bring happiness. All right? I guarantee it. Because the truth is, when Jesus comes and he rules and reigns and righteousness covers the earth like waters cover the sea, they still won't be happy. Because the Bible says when Satan's loosed after those thousand years that a host that you can't even count will surround and lay siege to Jerusalem in rebellion against the one true king. It won't be a battle the Bible says God will rain fire down from heaven and will wipe them out and that'll be the end of our history. And this world will be destroyed and God will create a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will reign forever. 
But that's not going to fix our problems. See, Jesus is enough for me. This is where Adam and Eve fell. They wanted more, believing God was holding back good things from them. You can only take two things with you to heaven. Your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with others. Nothing else is coming with you. Your house isn't coming. Your car is not coming. And so neither is anything that your neighbor has. To chase after anything else is extremely short-sighted. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Again, write it down. We're going to close in just a minute. But in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, the Lord said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Now, why is that important today? Well, just look at our culture. You know, even the best of us seldom leave our homes, you know, to invest in other people. We're very self-absorbed. We have tons of technology. We have tons of stuff. But those we'd number as true friends are likely few. Let me ask you a question. What if everyone lived life in such a way that pursuing people was more important than catching up with the Joneses? It's hard when Beverly asks me, she goes, what do you want for your birthday? And I'm like, I don't need anything else to busy up my life. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to ask for something because I've got plenty of stuff. I've I've got more stuff than I know what to do with. And I wouldn't consider myself a wealthy man by comparison to our society. Sometimes people come over our house and they find out what we live on. Not that's bad. I live a very good life. The church takes very good care of me. But over the course of the years that we've walked with the Lord, they've seen that we have, we have a happy life. They find out how much we made at that time and they'd be like, whoa, you know, wow, how do you live like that? And then it's like, well, our lives don't consist of the things that we have or the abundance of those things. And the truth is, whatever your income is at, wherever your socioeconomic status is at, you can be happy. You can have a great life if you're content with what God has given to you. What if everyone lived that way? What if everyone was content with the life they had, rejoiced with those who had more, and blessed those who had less? It'd be a different world, wouldn't it? Well, this is the world that that God desires. And when he, he gives these commands to Israel... Their reaction isn't the best because, you know, they see everything that God says and they realize they're not doing it. For us, challenge can be as we can see this and go, man, I'm not doing that. I mean, I violate all this stuff. Thank God we're not justified by keeping the law, amen? But here's the, the part that we don't want to forget, though. These are still part of God's heart, though. God's moral law doesn't change. When we get into chapter 21, we're going to get into civil and ceremonial law, begin getting to that. And those things don't apply to us. They were strictly for the nation and culture and spiritual worship of Israel. We learn that in the New Testament. But God's moral law never changes. This is his view of right and wrong. And as such, even though we're not justified by it, we're justified by Christ alone, our faith in him alone, and that's it. But our hearts should be, Lord, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So Lord, I don't want to do the things that you say not to do and I want to really get to the heart of those commands. I want you to be number one in my life. You know, I want to honor my father and mother. I want to value them. I want to value people. I want to value life. You know, I, don't, I want to be exclusive. If you're married, you know, if you're not married yet, to wait, you know, with purity. I want to value other people's stuff in the sense that I don't just take it and do what I want with it. I want to work hard. I want to be generous with the things that God has given to me. I want to be honest in my doings with others. I don't want to create walls and barriers there, you know? And I want to be content with what things I have because the Bible says godliness with contentment is what? It's great gain. You want to be rich, biblically speaking? Godliness 
and contentment with what God's given to you. It's great gain. Amen? Let's all pray. Lord, we do thank you that we're not justified by keeping this stuff because none of us can do that. We know that from Romans. But Lord, it's not that now we're free to do whatever we want. We have been freed from sin to be obedient to you. And so Lord, if, if these are things that please your heart, if these are things that are good and right, then Lord, we want to obey you in those things. And so we ask now that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would be a peculiar people, that we'd be different, Lord, in how we behave, that the way we live our lives would be so radically different from others, that the love they see in us, that the sincerity and the truthfulness and the, the contentment they see in us, Lord, that it would make them desirable to have what we have, that we would indeed be salt and light in the earth and have an impact on the people around us, that we know we can't rescue everyone, Lord, because some will choose not to, but that we might rescue some, even snatching them from the fire, as your servant Jude said. Lord, let us be your people in doing so. A light to the world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The truth behind the commandments is that God wants us to walk humbly with him and to love others as God loves them. Would not the world be so much more amazing if we put God and others above ourselves? This is God's moral law. It does not justify us, but it will give us a standard of God's holiness we can follow. While we are in this time of a global pandemic, do not be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel, Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.